Acts chapter 23, verse 11 through verse 35. The following night, the Lord stood by him and said, Take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. When it was day, the Jews made a plot and bound themselves by an oath, neither to eat nor drink till they had killed Paul. There were more than 40 who made this conspiracy. They went to the chief priests and elders and said, We have strictly bound ourselves by an oath to taste no food till we have killed Paul. Now therefore you, along with the council, give notice to the tribune to bring him down to you as though you were going to determine his case more exactly, and we are ready to kill him before he comes near. Now the son of Paul's sister heard of their ambush, so he went and entered the barracks and told Paul. Paul called one of the centurions and said, Take this young man to the tribune, for he has something to tell him. So he took him and brought him to the tribune and said, Paul, the prisoner, called me and asked me to bring this young man to you, as he has something to say to you. The tribune took him by the hand and going aside asked him privately, What is it that you have to tell me? And he said, The Jews have agreed to ask you to bring Paul down to the council tomorrow, as though they were going to inquire somewhat more closely about him. But do not be persuaded by them, for more than forty of their men are lying in ambush for him, who have bound themselves by an oath neither to eat nor drink till they have killed him. And now they are ready, waiting for your consent. So the tribune dismissed the young man, charging him, Tell no one that you have informed me of these things. Then he called two of the centurions and said, Get ready two hundred soldiers, with seventy horsemen and two hundred spearmen, to go as far as Caesarea at the third hour of the night. Also, provide mounts for Paul to ride and bring him safely to Felix the governor. And he wrote a letter to this effect. Claudius Lysias, to His Excellency the Governor Felix, Greetings. This man was seized by the Jews and was about to be killed by them when I came upon them with the soldiers and rescued him, having learned that he was a Roman citizen. And desiring to know the charge for which they were accusing him, I brought him down to their council. I found that he was being accused about questions of their law, but charged with nothing deserving death or imprisonment. And when it was disclosed to me that there would be a plot against the man, I sent him to you at once, ordering his accusers also to state before you what they have against him. So the soldiers, according to their instructions, took Paul and brought him by night to Antipatris. And on the next day they returned to the barracks, letting the horsemen go on with him. When they had come to Caesarea and delivered the letter to the governor, they presented Paul also before him. On reading the letter, he asked what province he was from. And when he learned that he was from Cilicia, he said, I will give you a hearing when your accusers arrive. And he commanded him to be guarded in Herod's praetorium. I was at a conference once and heard a simple challenge. And the challenge was this. If Christianity became illegal in the United States, in our culture context, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Uh, wrestle with that this morning. Um, we live in a country where, um, as we argued last week, we do have religious liberty, and that is a good thing. Uh, this is not the opposite, but it is a little bit of the counterpoint, that if we lose all of our religious liberty, how will the church in America respond? And, and the truth of the matter is, we know that in large swatches, we're watching as Christianity becomes more 
marginalized. Um, there are more people who see Christianity as a problem in our culture. In a lot of places, people who follow authentically just follow Jesus are now seen as bigots and, and as um, uh, the problem in our culture. And what's going on in America right now is that people are leaving the church in mass. There's, there's some reasons, like we need to wrestle with some of the reasons why. I, I think we have failed in places to authentically, um, in the evangelical world, actually represent Jesus well. That's true. That needs to change. But in some places, the truth of the matter is that, that what made up Christianity in America was this, this cultural Christianity that was very consumeristic, that, that Jesus was, was a means to an end. And now, now that's kind of being pulled away, and it's just, for a lot of people, it's easier just to not get up and go to church. It's easier to, to not be involved. Yet, yet the gospel is true, and the beauty of Christ is the only hope for the world. And, and we as people in this place need to realize that persecution could happen at some point in time here. Yet, as we just saw around the world right now, there are believers who are meeting in secret and private places who are doing all they can to worship Jesus without being discovered because they know that being discovered, gathering together will lead to uh, literally their um, uh, being arrested, tortured, having their houses and land burned, and even losing their lives. And, and so, so this morning as we gather, what we want to do today is just wrestle with what the persecuted church has to say. This text is helpful to think about that one issue. In fact, I think it's kind of the main issue in this text, which is why we're going to wrestle with it, that Paul is in the middle of a very dangerous situation for one reason. It's because he preaches Christ and is true to the, to the faith, okay? And, and so uh, that's kind of our goal this morning is to wrestle with that and then to look to the persecuted church around the world and deal with that. Um, our, our, our theme for the whole series is to be continued. And the reason is because from the start to the finish of our series, we're preaching through this book of Acts. Just real quick, I, for me up here, guys, there is like a, a echo and a hum that's really bad, okay? So I don't know if you guys can hear it out there, but for sure up here, um, it's, uh, there we go, that's better. All right, thank you. Uh, so, so this story is, is from Acts, and it begins with um, just 120 people in this room who are, uh, they have seen the risen Christ, they're waiting for the promise of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes on them. And the story of Acts, what has basically happened is um, that happened around 33 AD. We are now up to around uh, uh, 59 AD. So we're a little over 30 years, or I'm sorry, a little over 20 years, not quite 30 years uh, of, of history. And in that period of time, the gospel has spread all over what is the Roman Empire. Um, the, the story has focused on th this guy, the apostle Paul, the second half, as he's gone from town to town to town, preaching Christ, planting churches. But we also know from church history, he's not the only one. The 12 apostles did the same thing. Other people went out and did the same sort of things. We know that Barnabas and, and this young man uh, that was with him, John Mark, went to another part of the world, kept doing the same thing. And, and the gospel and Christianity is spreading like wildfire in the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire was super fertile for this moment of the gospel being spread. And at this point in time in history, where Paul had been preaching, he is getting persecuted, yet the church had a relative freedom in the culture. 
especially if the church had Roman citizens in, the, in, in their churches, a relative freedom in the culture to gather, to preach, to pray, to celebrate Jesus. But Paul felt compelled to come back to Jerusalem. And by this moment in the story, historically, where the church began in the city of Jerusalem, the Jewish center of culture, of government, the hub of like, like the Middle Eastern world for the Jewish people. And this is where Christianity started. And, and, and the first several chapters of Acts tell us how the church exploded in Jerusalem first. And so we have this story uh, of Paul returning, but it's part of this larger story that is the story of the gospel to the nations. That's where it goes. That, that all people in all places, all tribes, all languages would hear the gospel, that God would call to himself a people, one people from planet Earth that will be from every tribe and every nation. Notice this video that we just, we just said. The story is of how the church in these places is being persecuted. Get this. The story that ends with the end, like Acts ends in Acts 28. Yet the story that Acts is trying to tell is still being told so that the gospel has reached all of these awful, difficult countries, these places where it's difficult to be a Christian. The story is not, there was not the 10 places where the gospel has never reached. The story was the 10 places where the gospel has reached. The church is there. They're living for Jesus, yet their living there is dangerous. And it's all over the world. But it's not easy. And I think sometimes our, in, 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 in our freedom, in our American context and culture where we do have these freedoms, we have this version of Christianity that says, you know, if I'm just a good person and I say my prayers and I go to church, good things are going to happen. And then we read the Bible and it doesn't line up quite that way. So here's Paul, who has followed the Spirit that's been clear in the text. He has ended up in Jerusalem. He is there to love and aid the church, give aid to the church in Jerusalem. And as he shows up in Jerusalem, he very quickly ends up, when he's in the temple, he gets beaten to a bloody pulp so much that the text implies that he cannot walk up a flight of stairs himself. The Roman soldiers have to carry him. The people who were beating him intended to lynch him, to off him, to end his life. They were not just beating him up saying, stop it. They were going to kill Paul. As he is then brought before the Roman government, so we end up with both the Jews, the religious community, and the Roman, the more secular view of the world, both now kind of turning on Paul as they're trying to, to fulfill what they see their purposes as. And Paul gets placed under arrest. Now, his arrest was to protect him from the Jews, but he is still in chains. And, and one of the things I want you to understand as we're talking about this this morning is that no matter what happens in the text, in the story, Paul is going to be in chains for four more years. He, he, he is going to suffer all along the way. There's going to be hardship. And people who want him dead and will do anything to make it happen. And so just in our previous text, connecting the story together, in our previous text, what happens is that Paul stands in front of the Jewish ruling council. The Sanhedrin is, is this group of 70 leaders from Israel that functioned as kind of their, their supreme court. He stood in front of them and gave a defense of his preaching. 
And, and, and really, he, he got to the brass tacks. He says, listen, let me explain to you. Because the Roman official was going, why are these people so upset at you? Why have they arrested you? Why is, or, or not they arrested, why did we have to arrest you? Why are they beating you? Why are they rioting? Why is this a threat to peace, your presence, a threat to peace in this city? And Paul just stands and says, let's, let's get down to brass tacks. Let me tell you why you hate me. Because I preach that Christ is risen. That is the central message of Christianity, that Jesus died and rose again, and and therein lies our hope, that we can't save ourselves, that Jesus has died, he has risen, our hope is in what God has already done, not in what we do, and Paul says, listen, this is why I'm being persecuted. I am preaching the resurrection, that Christ is risen, that turns these two political parties in this crowd, the Sanhedrin, this council, against each other. They end up in this huge theological argument that almost comes to blows, And the Roman official, who knows that Paul is a Roman citizen and knows he has to kind of protect him, gets him out of that situation. And that's where our story picks up. Now, in the story, what happens then is they come together. Meanwhile, there is a band of 40 terrorists, 40 people who are part of this this tribe called the Zealots. And they make a promise. This whole story is actually really exciting. If you stop and just imagine it, you know, you kind of feel like, you know, Jack Bauer or, uh, you know, some other great, uh, you know, story that's in our current moment, you know, somebody like Jack Bauer or Jack Ryan is going to jump out of the story at any minute, right? Because you have intrigue, you have spies, you have this guy who's in serious danger and how's he going to get out and all this sort of stuff, right? So, so here you have this moment where uh, he is uh, awaiting some other form of trial. Meanwhile, this band of 40 terrorists makes a plot, and the plot looks like this. The next time they move Paul, what we're going to do is we're going to attack Paul and whoever's with him. Now, they know, these people know that Roman soldiers are guarding Paul. A centurion with a group of Roman soldiers are guarding Paul. They know that of these 40, a big chunk of them might die, but to them, they've determined that the only way for them to maintain the greatness of their, their nation, the greatness of their moment, is to off this guy. And so the loss of life of these 40 is of no problem. We are going to jump Paul. Romans are going to kill us. We're probably all going to be crucified. But Paul will be dead. The problem is over. And they then plot, they add to the plot this group of Jewish leaders who have as their job to uphold the law of God. Sadly, Throughout church history, often the greatest threat to believers are those who have really, really strong religious worldviews and they really believe that killing and harassing and murdering and and destroying the families of Christians is an act of faithfulness to their God and they will overlook their own religious systems, their own religious rules, their own religious books to do this. You heard about Nigeria. It is Islamic Fulani herdsmen. These these people who their job is to take care of goats and sheep, yet they have organized, and their one goal is to terrorize in the name of a religious worldview an area of the world where there actually are quite a few believers. And so so the, 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 the... Jewish council conspires with these terrorists 
and, and they send them, they're planning on sending a message to the Roman official, this guy who is called in the text of Tribune, who we, we hear his name in the story. He writes a letter um, at Claudius Lysias, and, and he is the, the highest-ranking Roman official in the city of Jerusalem at this time, representing a leader of at least a 1,000 soldiers, police officers in the city, ruling for Rome, and what happens is God, by his providence, sends the nephew of Paul. It's the only time in all of Scripture we hear anything about any of Paul's family. We don't know anything about his sister. We don't know if they were Christians. We don't know the age of this. The, the text refers to him as a younger uh, man or, or really probably either a teenager and maybe possibly a little kid. There, there is at least one hint, and some commentators will say he's probably maybe six or eight years old. Because what happens is the tribune takes him by the hand and, and it looks more like a sweet little moment where he's looking at this kid who's a little kid and walking him in sitting down than it is like hanging out with a teenager. But whatever, he's a younger, and, 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 and somehow he ends up being a spy. We don't know how. Uh, there's no indication that he was like a zealot and then just ended up in this meeting and went, wait, they're talking about Uncle Paul. I can't let this go down. We don't know. But he shows up in the story and has information about the plot. So there's an insider spy who then Paul tells Paul what's going down. Paul gets him to the Roman Tribune, and the Roman Tribune goes, this can't end this way. I've got to protect this Roman citizen. And so what he does is he puts together in the middle of the night, he says, we're going to leave right away as soon as the sun goes down, and the city settles. So at 9 o'clock, in cultures where um, like there's no electricity, it takes a couple hours after sundown, but pretty much when the sun goes down, people head to their homes and everything. And so he's 9 o'clock in the evening. He is going to put this battalion of men that includes 70 horsemen and, and basically a couple hundred soldiers, several hundred soldiers, to guard Paul and get him out of Jerusalem to Caesarea Philippi. Now, or not Caesarea Philippi, the, the Caesarea Maritime. Caesarea that is on the coast of Israel that is the Roman capital in Israel. It's where there's a big palace, there is a, a fortress, and, and we're gonna get him out of where the hotbed is and just move him from this point to the other point and get him out of here. But he is under this threat. At any point, these people could jump him, he could die, he could suffer again. At, at, at any rate, he is in chains and he is being persecuted for one reason and one reason only. He is suffering because he is claiming Christ as his king and is preaching the resurrection of Jesus. In fact, at any point in this story, Paul could have turned to the Roman or turned to the Jews and went, you know what, I'll make a deal with you. I'll just go quiet. I'll stop, I'll, I'll get out of town, I'll go live my life back where I grew up uh, in Cilicia. I, I, I'll live, and, and I'll just stop preaching. And everybody would have gone, all right, cool, you're free to go. It is the fact that he will not do that. He knows the gospel is worth it that causes him to continue to be in this moment. And what happens here is that the whole story begins with this crazy moment where Jesus shows up right after Paul had spoken and this band of the, 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 this Jewish council ends up in, in an uproar where they're ready to tear Paul apart. Paul goes back to the barracks and while he is alone in the barracks, Jesus joins him in the room. He is present and gracious and looks at Paul and says, do not fear, I'm with you. 
And he tells Paul, listen, here's, here's the bottom line. Just as you have testified, as you have borne witness, as you have proclaimed my name, my story, my death, my resurrection, just as you have testified here in Jerusalem, it is my purpose that you will testify in Rome. So, so now we have this moment where Jesus sovereignly tells Paul, you're not going to die in this journey. Not yet. And, and so here's what the rest of Acts, as we read this, just understand, we, we've, we've, this moment where Jesus is with Paul is always in the backdrop. We can know God has sovereignly orchestrated the events of Paul's life as his purpose to end in Rome. Not even a shipwreck or a snake is going to stop this, which all happened. He gets bitten later in the story by an awful snake, and everybody steps back and expects him to die within 30 seconds, and he doesn't die. So then they fall down, and they start worshiping him as a god, and he's like, no, let me tell you about Jesus. Here's why I'm cool. You know, I mean, this is the whole thing, right? He just keeps proclaiming Christ, and God has guaranteed that he is going to be, make it all the way around and proclaim Christ in the capital city. That's what's happening in this beautiful story. Yet, all the way, he is in chains. He's never free again in the story. He is suffering at every, like his witness of Christ has led to his persecution. But what we have to do when we read a story is we always have to read any story in context of like its setting, its moment. Like stories, like we are week by week taking the story and go, here's a chunk, let's preach it. Here's a chunk, let's preach it. Here's a chunk, let's preach it. But you have to understand that when we do that, we have this little bit of a danger of, of saying, all right, here's our story this week, and forgetting this larger context. And the larger context for this whole story matters. It's the reason I think that it's important for us to pause and do what we're going to do today. And what we are doing today is saying, listen, the persecuted church matters. We need to hear from them. We need to know they exist. We need to intentionally engage our lives in them. And here's why. The whole reason Paul is in Jerusalem is because of the persecuted church. If you've been with us, you'll remember he's on his third missionary journey uh, a couple chapters ago, and he is still preaching Christ planting churches, yet one of the main reasons for his third trip, in fact, I would say it's neck and neck with his purpose of preaching the gospel, planting churches, is that he is going to revisit these churches that are in Asia, which is modern-day Turkey, and in what is modern-day Greece. Churches, he, he went into the city, he preached Jesus, he planted the church, New church was formed, a new community of faith like ours in a city. Now they're gathering, they're preaching Jesus. In most of these places, while there is some persecution, some harassment, for the most part, these churches live at a relative level of freedom. They're able to gather and preach Christ, and they're not yet in fear for their lives. That will change in the Roman story in, in a few years here as Nero goes nuts. And then again, 30 years later, as Domitian becomes the emperor of Rome. Yet at this moment in the story, they, they have this relative freedom to do what they're doing. They're not gathering in, in fear of the Roman officials coming in and storming the gates and taking their lives and all this sort of stuff. And so they are these churches who, some of them are, have grown like crazy. The church in Antioch exploded. The church in Corinth is a huge church. Like the Lord is blessing and saving people. It is, it is beautiful. Paul goes around from each of these churches and he included in the gospel, he is looking at these churches and doing what I'm doing for you this morning, saying, listen, let me tell you about a church that's in the city where I grew up. 
The church of Jerusalem, they are hurting. There is a famine, and so they're already suffering just in that region. But because they claim Jesus, because they love Jesus, because they are for Jesus, they are now being marginalized, ostracized. They're bit, getting beaten up. They're getting killed. They're getting arrested. They're being beheaded. They're being mistreated by the Roman or the Jewish officials in that town. They are suffering. The, 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 the showing up of this famine has, has left them where they are hurting bad And Paul says, listen, they need us. They need us to pray for them. They need us to love them. They need us to send people. One of the things he does is he gathers this whole entourage of people who go with him to Jerusalem. They need us to show up and say, listen, your suffering is worth it because the gospel is spreading. They need us to show up with money to help put a a piece of bread on their table. They need us. See, the door here in this story swings both ways. It swings the way of looking at the church in these cities going, listen, the church in Jerusalem needs you, yet Paul's preaching to them is, but you need the Jerusalem church because you need to know that our faith may not be like this forever. And they're suffering like we are connected to them. They are our brothers and sisters in Christ. And we are connected. And Paul is too going to suffer, but he's in Jerusalem because of the persecuted church. That's why he gets arrested. And, and, and while he's now under arrest, Jesus shows up to him, this beautiful moment where Paul knows at least until he gets to Rome, he's not going to die. But you, you, you need to know this. Our brothers and sisters who are gathering around the world this morning, who are meeting in secret private places, house churches in China, small locations in the Middle East. Jesus is standing with them, but he does not give them such assurances. Most of the people will feel the presence of Christ, but not a guarantee that they're going to make it through the day, much less make it to Rome. And is God faithful? We need to hear the witness of that church. And so this morning, I got some helpers. I got some helpers who are going to help me out. I got five of our amazing teenagers. Listen, we have a rocking youth ministry. If you've got kids who are middle school, high school, and they're not hanging out with our teenagers, get them there. Because we have an amazing uh, youth, youth uh, leader in Travis, uh, some amazing volunteers who are investing in their lives. We have great kids in this church, all right? It's a good thing, right? And, and I, I asked them, a few of them to come up, what they're going to read. So come, up, come, on, come on up here, guys, if you're helping me out with this. Every Friday morning, and I'm going to c- come back to this at the end of the sermon, every Friday morning I get an email that tells me three stories from the persecuted church and asks, us, asks me to pray. And I pause every Friday morning at some point in time, I open this email, and I read these stories and I pray. This is from a website called ICommitToPray.com. You don't need to write it down yet. We'll come back to it, okay? ICommitToPray.com. There's this website that has stories. These are stories of real people, real churches, our real brothers and sisters of Christ, and the faith that they're holding in the midst of hard stuff. And these are current. This is not church history. This is the church now. All right, so guys, help us out. Tell us these stories. All right, so um, this story takes place in uh, Sri Lanka, and uh, assault on pastor leads to charges against him. 
On September 21st, Pastor Tony Benjamin from Sri Lanka investigated a noise outside his gate and was assaulted by two men with, shovel, with a shovel, demanding that he stop his religious activities. He was able to crawl back into the house before the men began breaking windows and causing other damage. Then the pastor's son heard the commotion and responded. He too was knocked down and beaten, then hospitalized for three days for his injuries. During the initial investigation, the police promised to arrest the two attackers, but six days later, they instead filed charges against Pastor Tony for inciting the attack. Though the charges were proved false, local officials sealed the community's, uh, sealed the family's home and con confiscated the church property. The family and church members asked the prayers, asked for prayers that they would be strengthened in their faith and hold witnesses for Christ amid this persecution. Hmm. Uh, this story takes place in Turkey. It is about a 16-year-old being for wearing a cross. Turkey hosts the largest number of refugees in the world, around 4 million, mainly from Syria and also from Iraq and Iran. Numerous churches in Turkey minister to these refugees, one of which reported that a teenager from a family of Christian converts was recently assaulted. The 16-year-old boy was walking down a street wearing a cross necklace, when some young Turkish men confronted him and insulted him for wearing the symbol of Christ's death. They asked why he was wearing it, and when he responded, because I am a Christian, they began beating him. The attacker, attacker split the boy's lip and smashed one of his teeth into his gums. Vom helped the young man receive dental services to repair the damage. Uh, my story takes place in Nepal, believing wife beaten church and burn for church attendance. Gita has believed in Jesus since she, was, since she was 11, but her parents gave her in marriage, gave her away in marriage to a Hindu man 20 years her senior. She is an active member of a, a local church despite her husband's opposition. Twice he has destroyed Bibles given to her by the church, and he has beaten her many times for attending church. Earlier this year, he was so angry that he poured boiled lentil curry on her, burning her leg badly enough that she had to be hospitalized. The ch local church paid for her medical expense expenses when her husband would not. On August 8th, Gita's husband beat her badly, broke her phone, and destroyed her hymn book when he could not find her Bible. She used a neighbor's phone to inform the pastor of her situation, but since she has being out of communication. The pastor asked for prayers for Gita and her daughters, ages seven and five. This story takes place in India. Pastor in chains after being taken for questioning. Pastor Sawan leads a church in Western India. During a service, police entered the church building with members of the radical Hindu group, Bajrang Dal, removing Pastor Sawan and an elder of the church for questioning. When the, two, when the two men were not released, other members of the church, including Pastor Suan's wife and son, went to, went to the police station and were also detained. Most remained in jail for a month. Six were released, but Pastor Suan remained be, because a member of the Bajring Dal falsely claimed that the pastor had tried to convert him and threatened his life. When Pastor Sawan became sick in prison, he was transferred to a local, to a government hospital for a week and chained to his bed. All families involved have 
face an enormous legal costs and increased pressure from the arrests. From the church in China, jailed ministers mi missing since arrest. On August 17th, police arrested six adults and one child from the Qian Church of Abundance, aggressively searched their homes and interrogated them at the police station before sending them home. The next day, the six adults were re-arrested and charged with illegal gathering and illegal fundraising. The charges were based on testimony, testimony obtained from church members who had been threatened and intimidated. The two pastors, Lian Qingyan and Lian Chuliang, and an evangelist, Fu Huan, remained in custody after the others were released. Their location still unknown when their families requested prayer two days later. There was also evidence that Lian Chuliang had suffered physical abuse while in custody. On August 19th, the Civil, Civil Affairs Bureau announced that the congregation was officially banned. Hey, let's thank them for coming up, being a little bold and sharing, the, sharing these stories. Um, in Hebrews 11, it talks about like the, the, the church and it says like some received back the dead. Some of them had these great blessings that they, 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 they overcame and they conquered. Yet others were sawn in two, thrown in prison. Um, the story of the gospel is a story of Christ's presence no matter what is going on in our lives, and his, his purpose and mission and his presence being so worth it. And, and so we need these stories in the Bible to disrupt this weird view that we, we contend to have, and we need stories in real life, and, and, and I do believe, and, and I just really felt compelled that this was a moment to say to us, we need to know, and we need to pray. Our brothers and sisters around the world matter to us. What can we learn from the persecuted church? What is this text? And what do these stories help us with? I just want to share four things that I think we need the persecuted church because we need to be reminded of these four things. And then we need to remember the persecuted church needs us. And I'll, I'll talk about that real quick at the end. But, but real quick, four, four things that we can learn, four things that we can gather from the persecuted church around the world, from these stories. And the first thing is this, suffering is normal. We have this Americanized version of Christianity that is more like karma chameleon than it is the gospel, okay? It is more, you know, karma, what, what you know, if you're good, what comes around goes around. If you're a good person, God will bless you. And, and so we, we, we begin to equate prosperity, we, we, we begin to equate good health, we begin to equate um, the idea of, of being free and comfortable, we begin to equate um, having houses and cars and church life. I hear this from pastors all the time. We equate church attendance and influence. And, and the, the more a person is a celebrity pastor, the more that has to be proof that God is blessing that ministry. And, and I, I'll tell you a little secret about America right now. God is blowing that up because celebrity pastors are going down every week. It's so sad. It breaks my heart. I'm not wishing that. I'm just telling you that the, big, the, the bigger your church, the more you're blessed and right with God is not gospel. 
In fact, some of the biggest churches in America are standing up and telling their people, they're, they're preaching heresy, they're preaching outright lies about the nature of God and the gospel. Suffering is a normal part of life, both in just the way we live our lives. We are going to hurt, we're going to have pains, we're going to have struggles, we're going to age, we're going to lose loved ones. This is a part of life. And on top of that, there is a promise from Jesus himself that persecution is part of the reality of our Christian experience. Uh, In Matthew 5, verses 10 through 12, Jesus is talking to his disciples and he says this, Blessed are those who are persecuted for the righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Not blessed are those who avoid persecution, who, who overcome it, who live a plush life with a big apartment and a big, big bank account. And who, uh, no, blessed are, are those who are persecuted for righteousness. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are, are you when, not if, blessed are you when uh, blessed are you when others revile you and, you, and, and uh, persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Blessed are you when your eyes start going bad. You can't even look down and see this. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is, is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You, you hear the words of Jesus there? He's looking at his disciples going, man, you, you'll be blessed when you are persecuted. Uh, Paul just says it clearly. Anybody who desires to live a godly life will be persecuted. Like, now, here we are, and we're like, I'm not really. And, and I could be, like, in my officer place, I could be free with my faith. Nobody's going to come at me with a, you know, a machete. Yet there is a sense in which if we bring authentic in the gospel, even in our culture, it's going to make some people uncomfortable. Christ is true, yet the world doesn't want to hear this. And, and so, um, you know, it's not blessed are you when you're, when you're persecuted for being a political nut job or being rude and arrogant or being uh, hateful to people. That's not it. But when we are standing for Christ, proclaiming the beauty of Jesus, there is going to be a sense in which there are going to be people who hear it and other people go, I don't want to have any part of it. I don't want to have part of you. Yet, for these men that Jesus was talking to, it was going to be a reality. All of them, except John, will die for their faith. They will have a moment where they're, said, they're told, deny the resurrection or you will lose your life. And their response is, I saw the risen Christ. I'm in. Take my life. You can't take my life. And so, we look to this part of the world and we say, Listen, this is a reality. Remember this number, one in seven. Around the world, one in seven believers of Jesus go to church this morning with their life, the fact that they are loving Jesus, putting their life in danger. One in seven. And when you start counting the numbers that are here, man, that's, that number is crazy when you look around the world. Yet the, the, the promise of the Bible is that this is normal Suffering is real. This karma version of Christianity is a falsehood. Believing in Jesus is not proof that your life is going to go easy and everything is going to be great. It is proof that Christ will be with you through anything. And so we should not see, like, don't buy into that lie. Don't, like these preachers and teachers out there saying, if you just believe in Jesus, you'll be rich and famous and wealthy and, and, and powerful and all that because that's what Jesus wants for your life. It's nonsense. And that's, that gospel will not work in the Sudan. And if it won't work in the Sudan, it can't be the true gospel. 
That gospel will not preach in North Korea right now. And if it doesn't work there, it's not the true gospel. Suffering is, is just, it is real, just part of our experience. And so Nick Ripkin, who wrote The Insanity of God, one of my favorite books ever, it's, if you were looking for, all right, how do I jump into this? There's a book to read, all right? Um, the, the Insanity of God by Nick Ripkin. And he's quoting a, a, a Russian pastor that he interviewed. And the Russian pastor said this, for us, persecution is like the sun coming up in the east. It happens all the time. It's the way things are. There's nothing unusual or unexpected about it. Persecution for our faith has always been, probably always will be, a normal part of life. Listen, I don't want it to come here. I, I stand by my sermon last week, says we ought to be fighting for the religious liberty of people around the world. Yet, we should not be surprised if, if our right to freely express Jesus is taken, and it should not stop us from doing it should not stop us from being bold and courageous in our faith. So, so uh, that we see persecution as normal. Second, we see that God is sovereign. The story gives us a glimpse into this. We now have this Bible passage where God says, I'm going to prove that I'm sovereign over suffering. Here's how I'm going to do it. Jesus goes and stands next to Paul and says, you're going to suffer, but you're going to make it to Rome. And we read the rest of the story, and guess what? He gets to Rome, which means God is telling a story. He is orchestrating the events of Paul's life to make sure that he accomplishes his purpose in Paul. And God is not going to let Paul die until Paul is done with the mission he has for him. Now, in Paul's case, God chooses to give him a clue to that. That doesn't always happen. But we can know that God is sovereign over all of the persecution, all of the suffering, all of the brokenness in the world, that God is making him known and, and, and himself known, and he is, he is making the gospel beautiful through the lives of people who are suffering. I, I sit at my desk. I told you I, this. I commit to pray. I get it every Friday. And I'm in my nice, neat little office with, with the air, like, or the heat turned to the right temperature in my comfortable chair, enjoying a, a good cup of coffee. And, and I read these stories. You've just heard some of them. I get three of them every week. And I pause and I pray. And I feel this overwhelming sense, sometimes of guilt, but of helplessness. But the beauty of it is that these stories remind me that even if these people die, God is sovereign over the story. And he is loving these people through it. They are seeing the risen Christ in the midst of it. And, and the purpose of God is going to be accomplished through their suffering. We, we need the persecuted church to remind us that God is even sovereign over that. And it would seem like a cruel God who says, all right, here's what I'm going to do is I'm going to make you suffer so that, you know, my word can be spread. But don't miss the fact that it's people in the midst of this, the, the, the greatest hardships who experience the greatest joy and presence of Christ in their lives. His sovereignty is not just leaving them dangling, hopeless. It, he is showing himself true and real in their hardship. The persecuted church out there reminds us. We need them because they remind us that, that God is sovereign even over with their death. Third thing we learn is that Jesus is so worth it. Jesus is so worth it. I think that's part of our crisis here. Teenagers, you're in a world where people are walking away from the faith because they've decided that there's something better. And the persecuted church around the world looks at us and goes, no, there's not. 
No, there's not. Even if I die, it's worth it. Even if I lose everything, Jesus is worth it. I don't know if you picked up in the, the language of these stories, these people who had lost loved ones, who had lost, like, one of the stories that we didn't read this morning that I got a couple weeks ago was a woman who knew her husband was beheaded because it ended up on Islamic TV. And her words were, I am rejoicing this morning that my husband stayed true to the end. Wait, what? Are you kidding me? And here's what, what we tend to do, right? We're given this, this email that, or, or we read this book. And so here's what we Americans do. We, we go, Lord, keep them. That's our prayer. And you know what mature believers in these contexts say? Stop praying for our safety. Pray for the glory of Christ to be made known here. Pray for the beauty of the gospel to be proclaimed. Pray for the advance of the gospel. We just, one of the nations is Iran. People are suffering in Iran. They're dying for their faith. They're being arrested. And in the middle of this, God is raising out of Iran a missionary force that is going to the Middle East. Nations that Americans have been unsuccessful reaching with the gospel. It is post-Muslim believers from Iran who are taking the gospel to the rest of the Middle East right now. And you know why they're doing it? Because even in the midst of suffering, they can stand in front of people and go, you know, Jesus is real, he is risen, and he is worth it. Oh, may we grab hold of that. We, like, if we're going to live in freedom, we've got to have their witness to keep reminding us when we go, I just, it's hard, and I don't know if I believe, and I want to walk away. We need to hear this witness and go, you know what? Christ is worth it. Endure. Stay in this thing. Hold on to the end. He will not let us go. Jesus is worth it. That is the message that is coming from the persecuted church. And last, we learned that the mission is victorious. Christ will be proclaimed to the nations. Then the end will come. He, he will not be done with you until your role in that story is finished. And then you get to go be in glory with him. There's this, this crazy verse. For those of you who are part of our Tuesday, mini, Tuesday morning men's Bible study, we're talking about this verse this week. It's in Revelation. If you're not part of it, you can join us Tuesday morning. 6.45-ish at the church office, we are actually studying the crazy book of Revelation. But in Revelation chapter 12, all heck is breaking loose. God is sending judgment. Meanwhile, the world is turning angrier. And there's this one passage of scripture. I want you to hear what is said in Revelation 12, verses 11 to 12, about the persecuted church. They have conquered him, meaning they've conquered the dragon, Satan, by the blood of the lamb, by the word of their testimony, for they love not their lives even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you will dwell, you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in a great wrath because he knows that his time is short. This is what John the author is saying. Here's these people, and they are now in glory. They have died for their faith, and he's saying they have overcome. How do they overcome? By the blood of Jesus and their witness, their boldness, their, the word of their testimony. And the fact that they did not love their lives even to the point of death. They would give up their, their lives because they had found something that was better than their very lives. And they won. 
We look at somebody getting beheaded in the Middle East, and we're like, God, that doesn't look like victory to me. And the Bible says, oh, yes, it is. Oh, yes, it is, because Satan and the forces of this world, their time is short, but he will reign forever and ever and ever, and we will be with him. The promise, the, the persecuted church makes that promise so real for us. We need their witness. And so, like, the whole challenge this morning is, is we are not there. That's okay. We need them. I, I just want to challenge you. In a few minutes, I'm going to give you a couple resources and and. Um, there, I, like while you were sitting here, a blog post went live on both Koinonia or on the Genesis website. It, it, it like showed up. If you have get emails from our online community, you literally got an email while we were sitting here talking with this, okay? Where I have given you tons of places you can go to ed- educate yourself and start praying for our brothers and sisters and to support what they're doing. Organizations that are, that are like Open Doors, which you saw the video, who are doing this. We need them, but listen, they need us. What's our role? And it's the same as the Apostle Paul's when he was going around Greece preaching these churches. They need us to know, to pray, to be generous. This is one of the marks of our faith that the more wealthy we are, the more generous we should be. But in our culture, it's actually upside down. The most generous people in our culture are the people who have the least. More generous. And we should send. We should send people to support missionaries to go to these places. We should help plant churches. And just, just pray, give, support, send people. Some of you, like especially younger, but even those of you who are nearing retirement, maybe this is God's will for your life that rather than going and playing golf in Florida, you go somewhere in the Middle East and give your life there. That's a good call from God. They need the American, the, the, where persecution isn't happening, they need us to partner with them as we look to them. We need them, they need us. And so I close this morning by just showing you three websites that are in this post that you already have or you can find if you're, uh, GenesisEureka.com and just find the blog at the top of the page. It'll be the most current blog post there. Like I said, if you're part of our online community, community you can find us through email or through that. Um, this is the first one, Open Doors. Uh, they are just an organization that is committed to partnering, loving, and, and giving resources to the persecuted church. They are also committed to helping us uh, helping the church around the world know where the, the, the most dangerous places to live. They put out this world watch list every year that lists, it, the video was the top 10. It actually has the top 100 most dangerous places to live on planet earth and tells you what is causing the persecution. Is it religious or irreligious, secular? Is it state sanctioned or is it more just from the ground up sort of thing? But who's persecuting them and why? You can know who these people are. You can read these these you know, these nations, this, this watch list from around the world to uh, your family and, and, and use this in your devotional life and things like that. So Open Doors is one. Um, we also have um, the next one here, which is uh, I Commit to Pray. Uh, this is the one I've been talking about. It, it is actually part of Voice of the Martyrs. Uh, which is another place that has, like, it's a whole ministry dedicated to the persecuted church around the world. This is the place where they have the stories, and, and simply put, it just gives you 
prayer links. Uh, like you can upload prayers, uh, you can tweet them or put them on Facebook, you can share these out, all kinds of ways you can interact with this. But the most important thing is that you find a place, you open, you get the email on Friday, you open up your journal, you, you, you open the scriptures and just pray for these people. Partner with them in prayer. All right? Uh, that's, I commit to pray. Third one here is, uh, this is Voice of the Martyrs. Uh, they have just tons of resources about the persecuted church around the world. And as the band comes up and we sing, we're going to sing about this task that's unfinished. We're going to praise Jesus who is worth it. My challenge to you this morning is a few things. First of all, if you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus, this has been kind of a weird sermon. I just want to tell you, Jesus is worth it. He is worth everything. And, and, and he died on the cross and rose again for you. You can trust in him and, and, and he will redeem you and save you. For those of us who are part of the, the church who are in the community of faith, either here or you have already trusted in Jesus, just understand that, that bold witness is a good thing and we need their testimony to help us understand the beauty of a global God who has a global mission and that we get to be a part of it. So educate yourself, pray, partner, give, be generous. And, and, and let God use you in your role in this kingdom mission, which is the beauty of Christ to all nations. The American version of gospel makes God look piddly and weak. I will love you, Lord, if you give me a car. I will love you if my life is comfortable. I will love you if, if everything is okay. It is people who I will love you and serve you if it costs me my life. Where the glory of Christ is be most beautiful. He is most magnified in us. When no matter what, we are holding on to him. May we learn from Paul's life, who he doesn't give in, from the life of the persecuted church. And may it change us. Lord, we praise you this morning. I just pray for, uh, I just pray for this issue in the context of our own church. We do live in freedom, and we are thankful. My, my, you're sovereign over those things. This is not for us to wish we were different. I, I don't yet. While we are in this space, Lord, there is a comfort level sometimes where if it's too hot or too cold or the seat's too hard, or we, we just anything is difficult in our lives, we want to bug out. And we need to be reminded that nothing is better than you. So draw us to that this morning, Lord. Let us sing in the next few minutes to your glory from hearts that see your beauty and celebrate you. And let us declare your goodness, not just in this room, but outside this room in the next week. In your name I pray, amen.